Hello again, everyone, and War Eagle. Welcome to episode three of the Plainsman Podcast. I'm your host, Mason Kilgore, and today on the show, we're going to be talking about Auburn basketball from the week. Uh, we're going to hit Auburn football for just a second. We will preview the Super Bowl that is one week from today, and we will talk a little bit about some other NFL news. Marcus will have his Plainsman poll. We will all go through our tweet of the week. So let's get to it. All right. First up, guys, uh, Auburn and Missouri played on Tuesday night. It was a huge, huge win for Auburn. Uh, Missouri was ranked number 12 at the time. Um, I personally expected to win that game. I don't know about y'all, but I thought Auburn had a really good chance to go to, to hold hold serve at home and beat Missouri. Um, we even talked about it kind of a little bit last week on the show. But what did y'all see from Auburn that, that y'all felt was the difference beating Missouri after after last week losing to Arkansas in the midweek game? Well, I just thought that um, our guys took it um, offensively, how we lost to Arkansas um, the weekend before. I thought Sharif kind of put it on his shoulders and took the blame for the Arkansas loss. He kind of said, you know, being honest, we as a team, um, as a group, we kind of slacked a little bit when we got the lead there against Arkansas and I think that they all kind of put in their mindset that they weren't going to let up and they couldn't let up against a team like Missouri. I think we looked really good, shot a ton of free throws, made a lot of free throws and uh, it was a big win for Auburn. Yeah, I felt good about the game all pretty much the the few days leading up to it. I'm not sure why. It just had that feeling like it was time for Auburn to upset somebody and uh, why not? Why not the number 12 team in the nation? And it was at home, so that always helps. Um, and we had four players in double digits in scoring, so that always helps too. So I actually have a, a little bit of a hot take here. Um, Marcus, you know this because I've told you a hundred times before. I hate watching a game that is a free throw shooting contest. And even though it helped Auburn this week, or, or in this game, you know, Auburn went 36 from 44 from the line. That's 82%. That's great. Um, Sharif Cooper had 28 points, but 18 of them come from the line. He made five shots from the field. Um, I I love Sharif Cooper. I love to watch him. But in my opinion, it was like that game took forever because there were so many free throws. Now, I know that, you know, Auburn won, and that's that's great and all, but I'm not going to lie. Coming down the stretch, I was like, oh, my gosh, can we just please get this over with? Yeah, it got to a point there where every time Missouri brought the ball down, it seemed like Sharif Cooper was drawing an, a foul. I mean, it, I don't know how he did it, but I'm glad that it was him doing it and he got to the line and made them worth it. And I, obviously in the end it helped us out, but it did kind of drag on there for a little bit. I understand what you're saying. Well, Marcus, you know, like I was saying, I've told Marcus a hundred times how much I, I can't stand to watch James Harden play. The difference, in my opinion, is – Harden tries to draw the fouls. They can't. They couldn't guard Sharif without, without fouling him, and that that was kind of the difference in my opinion. But, you know, I mean, it doesn't make it any. It does. It doesn't make it any less frustrating though to watch a team have to foul someone, and opposed to watching an offensive player try to draw the fouls. And what I mean by that is, 
you're getting the same result. You're getting 30-plus free throws in a game where that should not be the case. You should be able to play enough defense. And if you can't play defense on a guy to where you're having to foul him, you have to you have to change your defense into a zone or something to where you're not matched up and have to foul. Um, I'm with you. It is very frustrating. It's It's one of those things where every time you look up, you know, if you're not watching every second of the game and you look up three, four times in a row and you see free throws, you can find something that's better to do. Yeah, I mean, you know, I saw a lot of the Missouri fans complaining about the foul calls and about how Sharif was SEC's golden boy and all this. And I was like, no, it's, it's not that. It's you, you can't defend him without fouling. Like, they they fouled three guys out that game. And, and one of them was off the bench. So, like, you, you come off the bench and fouled out because you can't stay in front of the guy. So I think it speaks to to how good Sharif is, but at the same time, like, just watching the game as a fan, it's like, come on, man. And um, something I noticed from that game that kind of worried me going into yesterday, which we're about to move on to, um, we only had 26 points from starters not named Sharif Cooper, and nine of them were from the free throw line. So you think about it, our – our starters gave us 17 points from the floor, and you know, not counting Sharif. And I, I was worried about that going into yesterday's game, which we can move on to. Um, Auburn participated in the SEC Big 12 Challenge against number two ranked and undefeated Baylor. Um, I thought that the game was going to be close, and it was for a little while. Um, we were down five at halftime. That first half, it looked like we played the best defense we could possibly play, and I kept, I kept fearing that Baylor was going to get hot, get hot, and they did, um, right out of the gates in the second half. What about what do y'all guys takeaways from yesterday? Um, me personally, I thought we had a great game plan, and I don't mean that necessarily in just like a coach's game plan. I think all the players were all in on the game plan. I thought we looked like one unit, um, especially in the first half. I thought we played really good defense. Sharif couldn't really score early, um, but you know he had a few turnovers early, more than assists or whatever. But I thought the team as a whole played really good. Um, and then I just think that you have to realize that at a certain point, Baylor is really, really good. They're older than some of the NBA teams, and we are the youngest team in college basketball. And that showed yesterday. It did. And I don't think if you asked Bruce that he would say that that has anything to do with it or he wouldn't want to admit that, but it it is. I mean, we are a young, young, talented basketball team who has a bright future ahead, but we are having to go through growing pains this year. And when you play number one team and number two team, it, you're going to be exposed to your youth. And that happened yesterday. Played a great first half. We hung out with them. But you just kind of knew after the 8-0 run in the second half, it was going to be really hard to come back because we do not have – we just don't have the three ball like like we're used to seeing at Auburn. Yeah, I was going to hit on the, the age thing as well. I think it, it does say a lot that, you know, we kept it competitive even though we are so young going up against the very experienced Baylor team. But I think what helped them the most was they were able to contain Sharif for a large part of the game. They would slide up, double-team him. Um, they took his scoring away. They took his 
more importantly, his passing away. Um, it made it very hard for him to pass the ball to anybody. I mean, have any kind of assist once he crossed midcourt. Um, if he got rid of the ball before midcourt, it worked out a little bit better. But it just—I mean, he didn't—he didn't have the assists that he normally has been having since he uh, started playing. Yeah, those are great points. Like, yeah, uh, just—I mean, it was almost like Baylor was baiting Sharif. Yeah. Like they knew that he was gonna want to pass. So instead of necessarily crashing to stop him scoring, they were guarding the passing lanes times two, and they it was it was very effective. Yeah, I yeah, mean they were almost one. daring him to shoot the ball. They they said if Sharif Cooper's going to beat us, it's going to be from behind the arc. Yep. And he hit one three, but you know it, it he he had a lot of open looks that just didn't go down. You know, and that that's fine. Um, I I actually am going to make a big prediction here. And I, I actually wrote this in my notes. The lack of Sharif Cooper's jump shot might buy Auburn one more year of, of Sharif Cooper. I think if he does come back, it will be to work on his jump shot. And, you know, I think the NBA teams, I'm not going to say that they would pass on him because, you know, he's going to be a great NBA player one day. But I think that they're going to tell him – Stay, stay in college and work on your jump shot for one more year, and then we'll see. You know what I mean? D- do y'all think? No, I agree. You do agree? Okay. No, I agree. I think that a couple. I think um, when we watched him his first and second game, and he had you know twenty plus, and you know he looked incredible. Still looks incredible. I don't want to take anything away from him, but I think um, I think seeing now. You know, I think we all gave like 30% chance of him coming back next year, if we were being honest. I think that has changed a little bit just because I think he could really um, improve his stock if he was to come back and prove that he, he does have a jump shot. And now I think he might can see that too now. I don't know. We'll see. But I do agree with you. All right. Well, let's uh, let's touch on the rest of the SEC Big 12 Challenge. Coming in, the Big 12 was just beating their chest about how good they were. And when you looked at a lot of these matchups, you know they were heavily favored to to win the win the challenge. Um, Texas Tech was ranked number ten. West Virginia was ranked number eleven. Um, Alabama was ranked number nine. Missouri was ranked number twelve. Kansas and Tennessee was the most evenly matched game. Kansas was ranked fifteen. Tennessee eighteen, and of course Baylor was number two. So. You know, there was a lot of firepower yesterday from the top 25 in this challenge. And to be honest, after Auburn's loss to Baylor, um, I looked at the scoreboard and it was it was four to three and there were two games left. And it was Kansas, Tennessee and Iowa State, Mississippi State. And I was like, eh, they're probably going to win this. And then I, I checked the scores later and they were absolute blowouts for the SEC. Tennessee killed Kansas 80 to 61 and Mississippi State beat Iowa State 95 to 56. Um Bama got knocked off yesterday, which made my heart really really happy. Um it doesn't count as a conference loss, which don't help us any as far as chasing them, but you know, our loss didn't hurt us either. So that was kind of the good thing about yesterday to get out of your conference and play a play a little one-off game and you know the SEC winning five to four was was pretty cool. I mean, anytime you can go beat another conference, that's that's always a big deal. Even in recruiting, you know, we recruited a lot against a lot of of those schools. Um, 
Texas and Kentucky was canceled, probably best for us because Texas would have beaten Kentucky like a drum. Um, what? Let me ask y'all this: Would y'all like to see an SEC Big Twelve football challenge, or maybe SEC Big Ten football challenge, where one weekend out of the year you take your five or six best teams from the SEC and five or six best teams from the Big Twelve and put them against each other and all play on one weekend? Uh. I don't think it's a bad idea. Uh, it would be interesting to play some teams that you don't get to see very much until bowl season. Um, I do think that it would kind of show the power of the SEC, though, when it comes to football. I don't know that some of those teams – I don't know if their five best can compete with our five best and it'd be reasonable. <laughs> yeah, I was about to say, if you ask an SEC fan that, the answer will be, yeah, bring it on. You ask – Pac-10 or Big Ten, Big 12, ACC, they're going to say, nah, we're we're good. We're just going to play what we got on our schedule. (laughs) Well, that was was kind of where I was coming from because I I would love to see it just, you know, as an SEC fan to see. But, you know, sometimes that would work against us because – Take take this past season, for instance. A lot of people would have been like, oh, LSU can beat anybody. Bro, LSU couldn't beat anybody. (laughs) So – it, it And like yesterday with the basketball, you know, when you look at a Kentucky-Texas basketball game, everybody's like, oh, Kentucky's got that. Kentucky is terrible this year, you know. So you kind of have to watch it when you're scheduling those types of games. But I don't know. I just I thought that was a neat little idea. Well, just one more point. I think that we looked at LSU as a nobody this year against an all-SEC uh, schedule, but – if you were to say LSU go up against, a, you know, a f- team number four or five in, I don't know, let's just say the Big Big 12. Let's just say the Big 12. Who would that be? That would be who? Iowa, Iowa State, State probably, yeah, something like that. Oklahoma I State mean, maybe. I still, I mean, I mean, I still think LSU would have been a favorite even this year. I mean, sure, I got it. I got that LSU did not have a great year. But even still, they've got more talent and, you know, better resources than somebody like an Iowa State does. Just my opinion. Maybe so, but I don't know. Well, I I think my point in what I was saying was LSU was number one at the end of last season. So you're going to put them against the number one team in another conference. You know what I mean? And so if LSU is going against Oklahoma or Ohio State or Clemson, they're dead. You know what I mean? So I agree. I agree with that, but, you know, that's just opening the door to whoever else you're going to, you know, your lower tier, right. whatever. I understand yeah. what you're saying. All right, well, uh, let's let's transition into football. We're not going to stay here long. Just a couple of things I wanted to note. Um, the schedule came out for next season. Um, it's it's not as terrible as it usually is for, for Auburn. So I will take that. Um, we start with Akron. This all starts September 4th, and on Auburn's website, there's actually a countdown. We are 215 days, 18 hours, and 37 minutes away from kickoff. I don't know if that excites y'all, but it did me when I saw it. Kind of laughed at that. And uh, so we will we will host Akron on September 4th, and then we move into Alabama State. That's a couple of cupcakes before we hit the road at Happy Valley uh, and play Penn State. I'm looking forward to that game. That's going to be a great helmet matchup. You know, you love to play those traditional um, schools from other conferences like Brett said a while ago, you know, teams you don't normally get to see until bowl season. So 
Um, and then we play Georgia State. So we knock out our four non-conference games right off the bat. And then, you know, do y'all expect us to be 4-0 going into LSU? Yes. Yeah, I do too. Okay. Well, Penn State was definitely down last year. But, you know, I think a lot of teams were down last year that wouldn't be down on a normal year. So um, we opened conference play on the road at LSU who we just kind of got done talking about having a really bad year last year. And I saw a tweet earlier this week and it said if um, if Harson was to come in and end the, the road streak loss, the road loss streak at LSU, you know, it would be among some of the greatest things he could even achieve while he was at Auburn. So I'm looking forward to that. I, I told y'all the other day that I, I think this is the year we finally snapped that streak. And then we host Georgia – um, October 9th, I mean, that is what it is. It's going to be a good game, I think. You know, by by then we'll have five games under our belt, so maybe we'll know who we are and everybody be clicking and we'll see what happens. You know, then we hit the road, play Arkansas, host Ole Miss, at College Station, and then we host Mississippi State, travel to South Carolina, and host Alabama. So that last little run there is not as hard as it usually is. You know, I mean, in my opinion, looking at this schedule, we got three tough games. We host Georgia, we go to College Station, and we host Alabama. I mean, it looks like a a three-game – I'm not going to say a three-game schedule because you still have to win your other games, and Auburn is nowhere near to the point where we can just count wins, you know, by looking at a schedule. But – you know, if we could take care of business, those three key games right there, you know, could really determine whether we have a, a good season or a great season. What's y'all's, what's y'all's um, thoughts about the schedule? Uh, I think that just to kind of piggyback off of what you said, there's a lot of teams in the SEC that I think are going to get a lot better from last year to this year. Um, not even talking about LSU. Um, I think, you know, I think we'll have something to prove against South Carolina, but you know, other than A&M, Bama, and Georgia, you're going to have tough games with Ole Miss and Mississippi State. and um, you just Arkansas know. is I mean, one that I look at improving to, uh, big time. Yeah, I mean, Arkansas improved <laughs> with, without an offseason. Um, I mean, we, we have to be careful not to say, because by what you just said, we should be 8-3. and three. And or eight and nine and three, maybe it's what you. I mean, you say you know just even saying that we lose all three of those games, and that's that's a really high standard first season for Coach Arson. Right. So I would just say that you know we just have to be careful of our expectations and just kind of go game by game. I mean, even as fans, just see what we look like if we can beat Penn State. You know, I do think it would make that LSU game huge for us. So, I mean, you know, just take it with a grain of salt and see where we are. But um, I'm excited. I mean, it can get here fast enough. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I tend to side with Marcus on this one a little bit. You can't ever overlook an SEC opponent. I mean, it doesn't matter if they're at home or away. I mean, obviously home field advantage helps. And if we have full capacity this year, then the whole game changes from what we played last year. But I just I, – I will never, ever overlook the LSU Tigers in Death Valley on a Saturday night. I mean, you just yeah. never know. And obviously because that's our weakness. <laughs> I mean, when was the last time we beat <laughs> them in Death yeah. Valley? So, 99. Uh, yeah, see, I mean, good Lord. Yeah. Yeah. I was nine years old. 
I was seven. That's not great. I was yeah. three. <laughs> right. So it, it's hard to say that we, we have those three games to look at, but it does look a little bit easier than it normally does. I'll, I'll agree with you on that. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that yeah. too. Yeah. All right, well, let's, uh, let's move on to the, to the professional side of the football. Um, we got a couple of Auburn Tigers playing in the Super Bowl this week. Um, Carlton Davis and Jamal Dean on the, in the secondary for the Tampa Bay Bucks. Um, what do y'all? How do y'all feel about the Super Bowl? Brett, your boy Brady's playing. Um, everybody loves to watch Mahomes. So, who who are y'all pulling for, and and what are y'all's predictions for the Super Bowl? Brett, we'll start with you. Yeah, I'm obviously pulling for Brady. Um, I, I this is the matchup I wanted. I wanted to see old versus new, Mahomes versus Brady. Um, I think they're both incredible quarterbacks. They're just totally different. And Patrick Mahomes can kill you with his legs. Tom Brady can kill you with his accuracy. And, I mean, Patrick Mahomes can do it also, but you know what I mean. Um, I, I do think both of them being in, a, in Super Bowls, they both have experience. Obviously, Brady's got a little bit more. But um, the, the Chiefs were just there last year. So you cannot say that they don't have experience. They are a little bit younger of a team, but I think it'll be a fun matchup. Um, I am going to go ahead and side with Brady. He's got the weapons around him that he needs. Um, if he can get the ball down to the end, to the red zone, he is extremely efficient there. I think the def- the Tampa Bay defense is going to be a huge factor in whether they can shut down Mahomes and um, and their the Chiefs offense. That's a great. That's just a great take by Brett. Um, I think you got the old and young. You've got um, a guy. I mean, even even with the coaches. I mean, you've got a guy in Andy Reid who you would think's the veteran, and then you've got a new you know a new guy on the block. So um, I think it's exciting. If I had to pick a team right now, I would say I'd be pulling for the Bucks. They've got Auburn blood. Um, I wouldn't hate seeing Tom win another just because. I like the uh, Cinderella story of him going from a Patriot to a Buck and doing it there too. So, um, and I I don't know what it is about Kansas City, but they just got so much that you know it almost feels like if they were to get beat, it's kind of laughable. So, um, yeah, I mean if that's what I had to go with right now, that's what I'd go with, and I'm excited. I'm I'm just looking for a good game. Yeah, I'm the same way. I'm I'm looking for a good game. I um I think Kansas City's actually going to be a little much for Tampa. Um, I know that I know that Tampa's defense has been really good, but I watched Green Bay exploit them a little bit last week. Um, their receivers were able to get get free a little more than New Orleans were, and I just think that with Tyreek Hill and um uh. My mind just went blank. The other good wide receiver for for Kansas City. Um, anyway, I just I, he's fast. That that's the problem. Like I just that Tyreek yeah, Hill. Well, that's who I said. Now there's another one. Same. It's not not Sammy. Sammy. Watkins. It is Sammy Watkins. Okay. Yeah, it is. Um, yeah. I just think that their speed is is going to be a problem for for Tampa Bay, and you know I I think that Kansas City is going to win. But I always do this. I've I've done it just about in every sport I've watched. The the guy I hate when I see his career coming to an end, I start you know I start kind of kind of flipping the script on it a little bit. And I, I'm I think I'm to where I would like to see Brady win another one. 
Um, I've hated Brady forever, and I, I think I still do hate him. But as far as the story goes, I, I wouldn't mind seeing him win again. So I think we all did the same thing. We with did Kobe do the did, same thing with Kobe. Like when in '09, and when he was scoring 60 in his last game, I yeah. you know. So it's great. All right. Well, one more one more NFL thing. Uh, last night, the Rams and Lions pulled off a remarkable trade. Uh, Matthew Stafford's headed to L.A., and poor Jared Goff gets to live in Detroit now after living in L.A. for the last five years. So um, it cost L.A. their future for sure. They traded two uh, two firsts and a third to to get rid of Goff and the land Stafford. So hurts for me because I wanted Stafford to be in Indianapolis, but it is what it is. I guess we're going to go with the Georgia quarterback, Eason, and whatever. You know, we'll we'll see how he progresses. But um, All right, so we had this debate earlier in the week amongst ourselves, and it is the it was the, the talk of the week early, the Hall of Fame. No one was inducted into the Hall of Fame this year, and – of course, that leaves out Barry Bonds, it leaves out Kurt Schilling, and it leaves out Roger Clemens. I say none of those guys should get in. Brett, you think they should. Why? All right, so I think Bonds and Clemens should get in, and they're the two that everybody's on the fence with about the roids. Um, yep. The reason um, Schilling didn't get in was more of his political takes than anything else. He'd never juice that anybody's aware of. Right. Um, so I think him not getting in can be argued by he didn't have the stats to get in. And I think people do have a true argument there. It really just, of course, I want to go in because I'm a Boston guy. But if you look at the stats, I don't know that he actually has the, the stats to fall on to give him enough of an argument. Now, Bonds and Clemens, I mean, they're – they're two of the greatest to ever do it at their perspective, respective positions. Um, Clemens was dominant on the mound. Bonds was dominant at the plate. And when you look at it, if you go before they started juicing or after they started juicing, those stats alone get them into the hall. I just don't think that you can erase a whole era of baseball out of the Hall of Fame simply because people, I mean, pretty much everybody in the MLB was using steroids. Um, it's called the steroid era because so many people were doing it. Of course, there were players that were honest and didn't do it, and great for them that they didn't and they still performed well and did it. But you can't take away what Bonds and Clemens did for the game with or without roids. Well, I will give my take short and sweet. I do agree with you that Bonds and Clemens both were the best you know, arguably the best to do it at their respective positions. I also agree that looking at their stats before they um, juiced up, they would probably make it in. But I also believe that if you broke the rules to better improve yourself illegally and got caught, you do not deserve to be in the Hall of Fame. If you do, if if baseball was to put them guys in, it says to me personally, it says we don't care what you had to do, we don't care whether you got caught or not, we, you know, the Hall of Fame is yours. And I just think it's a bad look for baseball. I think, obviously they're not putting them in, so you can't, 
say it's a bad look for baseball yet. I just disagree that they should be in the Hall of Fame. They were great players, and it's sad that they did use and did get caught because they deserved to be in the Hall of Fame until they started juicing up. So if they do make it in, you can't argue that they don't belong there as far as their talent goes. But if they do make it in, you go, well, I understand what baseball finds important and what they don't find important. The one guy I think you should fight for is Pete Rose. And that's just my opinion. He is also on the political part. I don't know. I just think Pete Rose deserves to be in the Hall of Fame more so than the guys who juiced and, you know, affected their bodies, you know, to improve their game. Well, my opinion is just like Marcus's. If you if you alter the game in any way, you don't deserve to be in. If if you I, I get what you're saying, Brett, about they were good enough before. If you just take those numbers, I got it. We're not trying to erase history. We're not saying you can't talk about how good Barry Bonds was. But the, the Hall of Fame is a completely different level. Like It is the elite. It is the people that did not have to cheat to get there. And once you get caught, it's over. You, you, you know, it's over for you. You don't get in. And I, I feel the same way about the Astros. None of those Astros, I don't care how good their careers are. They cheated to get a ring. And I don't think I any of them deserve to get in. And it's not just the steroid part of it. It's, it's the cheating part of it. You don't cheat to win. And especially once you get caught, it's over. And I, I don't even want to hear the conversation anymore. Because to me, like Marcus said, if, if they were to get in, it says, you know, we, we care more about our record holders being in than we do the integrity of the game. And and I think that baseball has always been an just a, a a classy game, and and people have always played it with respect. And if you let that respect go, then I think it's a bad look for baseball, just like Marcus said. So so that's why I say no to both of them. I even say no to Rose. You know what Rose did? If you alter a game, you don't deserve to be in. Now I I know that it was only a few games or one season or whatever. You know, there's 162 games in a baseball season, but if you alter one of them by cheating or by throwing a game or by whatever you have to do, every game is just as important as the next. And I just don't think you deserve to get in. I mean, if you're going to keep these guys out on a ethics claim, then you also have to look into who else is in the Hall of Fame. You have alcoholics, drug addicts, uh, womanizers, racist, all of them in the Hall of Fame. You can't say that baseball is a classy organization has always been played with class just because, I mean, if you look at it, Babe Ruth was a known alcoholic and womanizer. Um, they're, I can't remember their names, but I read an article earlier this week, and there are literally people in the Hall of Fame that have ties to the Ku Klux Klan back when you know there was segregation. It's a part of history that nobody likes, Obviously, we hate the racism. Um, we hate that players were allowed to get away with having alcohol on the field and doing all this stuff, but they still got in, regardless of what happened. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, you're you're not going to change my no, mind, I, and I'm not going to change your you. mind because we have different beliefs. I believe Rose, Clements, and 
Barry Bonds should get in just because you cannot erase that part of the baseball history. And you said it's not trying to erase it, but keeping them out of the Hall of Fame does erase it. That's saying that our best players can't get in because they did this when everybody else was doing it. Well, I also – I just – I don't know. To me personally, all those things that you said, uh, alcohol, uh, the um, womanizer and all that stuff, that's a category by itself almost when you put cheater up there. That's off the field stuff. You know what I mean? Because – and I know that cheater is such a – that's, I hate even saying that word because it sounds like a little kid, but when you're using PEDs to to be stronger and better and stuff like that, and you can already hit one 400 yards, what are you doing? 400 yards. <laughs> <laughs> and make yourself hit one 400 yards. Let me yards. tell you, if you hit one I'm 400, saying, you like, get in. 400 yards puts you in. I'm regardless. just saying, like, what are you doing, yeah. man? You don't need them. And I'm sure I, – I wish that I knew how Barry Bonds felt about it. I'm sure he don't expect it, but I just wonder if he goes, yeah, I don't deserve it. I wonder if he says, yeah, you know, that was a mistake and I understand. I just wonder how they personally yeah. feel about it. And you'll never know because they're they're lobbying to get in. So they're never going to say, no, I don't deserve to be in, you know. But I, I'm with you. I, I do wish I knew as well, you know, kind of kind of inside how they felt, you know, as far as yeah. do I deserve it or not. Well, last thing – well, for me, last thing is, is I do think that Brett will win this, and I do think that we will see them get Ooh. in, both of them. I do think Clemens and Bonds. They got 10% more votes um, this past year, I believe, than they have. So I believe their stock trend is up getting in, and I do think My biggest will. thing is 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 the Hall of Fame is, is based off of stats and talent and what you did while you were MLB player. You got to the MLB without doing all this stuff. You are the best at throwing a fastball and striking people out. You're the best at hitting a home run and running the bases like nobody's ever seen before. You're you're the best before steroids. Taking steroids does not give you that ability. You can take as many steroids as you want to, and you will not be able to hit a 98-mile-an-hour fastball as an average Joe. That is not possible. So. Saying that steroids made them better in that sense is completely wrong. And I think that their stats come from their talent and not the steroids. Maybe the amount of home runs that Barry Bonds had was helped by steroids, for sure. Put an asterisk by his name in the Hall of Fame. Say, you know, he was proved that he juiced these years. But his stats are still his stats, and he's still – one of the best baseball players in history, if not the best. Well, that's I fair. And I think, like, you know, I think I think your argument at the end of the at the end of, you know, his tenure of being on the ballot, I think I think your argument will win. Well, I, I say if they get in, there needs to be, like you said, an asterisk. But I, I think there needs to be a, a whole area of the Hall of Fame dedicated to the steroid era. That is, it's almost like one B, one A and one B, and and if you're going to get in, you're in this category. So, I, I, I don't think they end up in. I, I feel like if they were going to, they wouldn't wait until the last year to put them in. So yeah, I completely I agree we'll that see. there should be an asterisk or some area that they say, these people got in, but this is what they did. But they should still be in. Okay. All right. All right. Well, that'll get us into Marcus's segment. Uh, this is going to be the Plainsman Poll. Marcus, what have you got for us this week? All right. 
Planes and Pole is brought to you by... I'm just kidding. Yes, I'm just kidding. All right, that was a joke. All right. Uh, the first question of our Plainsman Pole this week is, in any sport, what is the best high school athlete you have ever faced or watched? Uh, you want me to go first? Yeah. Sure. Um, so, I can't remember which year in high school it was, but I actually faced Tyler Stovall as a pitcher um he he threw real hard and his off-speed stuff was real nasty and i didn't touch it i'm gonna be honest with you (laughs) he sat me down real quick but uh i did go against him and he pitched a heck of a game from hoax bluff it was it was some it was the best pitching i saw while i was in high school no doubt did he go to college tyler stovall he was drafted yes. out of high school, and then he ended up back at Auburn as a backup quarterback, uh, place kick holder. That's tough for me because I didn't play. I didn't play sports in high school. Um, I did attend a lot of the games, but I, I really can't think of anyone that I watched that just really blew me away. Um, I play. I played little league baseball with with a guy named Justin Campaign, who ended up going to Walker. Um, He's with the Yankees farm system now, but I didn't ever face him except in practice. But you know, I I definitely wasn't touching his stuff as a seven or eight year old either. So, so he's probably the um, the person I know that's made it the furthest. But as far as facing anybody, I, I never had that. Marcus, who's yours? Well, it, it's funny because I actually have two. Um, I have actually got my um, end whooped many times by Quentin Williams, who's now at the Jets, um, and I have uh, I, I've. That was awesome, actually. Um, but I would not even say that. I mean, I guess you would have to say that he was the best that I've ever seen or whatever. But I mean, it wasn't like a one-on-one matchup the whole night. Thank God. <laughs> so um, I'm actually gonna go when I was a young young boy, just getting into football. Um, I watched Tony Dixon at uh, Parish in '04, and he went on to play um, running back at Kentucky. And, man, I remember him being a grown man in high school. And my, I mean, some of my youngest memories was Tony Dixon running the football. Uh, They called it the uh, Mason-Dixon line because Cole Mason was right up there with him. But uh, just watching Tony Dixon lay on a cart on the sideline and then they're throwing mustard and pickle juice and everything else they got at him. But watching him play in the state uh championship and winning and I mean I don't know I will never forget how big of a man Tony Dixon was in high school yeah so that's what I would go yeah Tony actually still holds a lot of records um from a playoff game where they beat Hubbardville 81 to 58 he scored so many points he scored touchdowns he uh he kicked field goals extra points man he did it all because it was was a 1a school so a lot of players played both sides of the ball but yeah he was he was a bad dude in high school no doubt about it and I think a lot of it has to do with how young we were it made him look that much bigger Oh my but, gosh! But yeah. even still, like he was a grown man in high school, so that's a that's a good one. Yeah. Okay, so moving on. Um, this is this is a weird question I came up with, but you know, I want you to picture yourself as an athletic director. I want you to kind of go with a mutual school. I would say, kind of, you know, you don't have to be Auburn, but whatever you want to do, you can get anybody you want. You can get staff-wise. 
um, and you pick your head coach, defensive coordinator, and offensive coordinator, um, who are you going with? Let's just say, um, you know, if you if I, if y'all need some time just to think about it real quick, I'll give you what I have. But yeah, yeah, go um, ahead and give us who you've got. Okay, so if I had to, I would go Urban Meyer as my head coach. Um, I would go Joe Brady as my offense coordinator, and I would go Kirby Smart as my defense coordinator. And I was trying to go with, like, you know, guys who egos wouldn't run together, but they were so good at their craft. And uh, I know Joe Brady really hadn't proven much more than his one year at LSU, but I just think that, I mean, that would be my, my staff that I would put together. Okay, um, so are we saying, like, I mean, Urban Meyer don't have a lot of years left. I know he just started with the Jaguars, but, like, like Nick Saban don't have a lot of you years left. You could go with the last, yeah, you could go with your last. I mean, whatever you want to do, man, it's your world. Okay. <laughs> You're never going to be an AD, don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. It's whatever you That's want. That's fair. All right, well. You can take them in their I, um, I'm definitely going to have Nick Saban as head coach. I mean, anybody else is really – you know, laughable. Um, I think I would have him as head coach. I would put that this is this is the part where the egos would clash. But um, I would have Gus Malzahn as offensive coordinator. I don't think them two would ever get along. But I think Gus Malzahn was a great offensive coordinator in his prime. That's what you said in their prime. And his deep, y'all. There'd be a lot of spanking on the sideline from the head coach. The y'all, the, the looks I'm getting right now are unbelievable. Um, and as defensive coordinator, uh, I'm gonna go off the wall here, completely off the wall, and I'm gonna say Mac Brown as defensive coordinator. Brett, who you got? I can tell you Gus Malzahn is not in my list. <laughs> I, I assumed as much. Um, uh, can NFL coaches be in this as well? I mean, Urban Meyer is the head coach. <laughs> You're right. You're right. I apologize. Um, so, I think head coach, I would go with Andy Reid. Oh, that'd be cool. Um, offensive coordinator, I really like Cliff Kingsbury. Hey, I do too. Um. I don't know on defensive coordinator. I'm, I'm kind of torn which what direction to go. Um, I might lean towards Kirby just a little bit. Yeah. Um, well, we'll, yeah we'll call say, Mason's, we'll say Kirby. Uh, Mason's the AD of the school of the nursing home. <laughs> With uh, okay. Nick Saban pushing Mac Brown in on a chair on Saturdays. <laughs> <laughs> All right, my next question is, uh, if Tom Brady wins the Super Bowl next Sunday, he will have seven rings in his career. If the over-under was at six and a half, would you ever bet on another NFL player to ever go over seven rings? No. Period. No. Brett? Me either. I mean, even if Mahomes wins next Sunday and no. Brady's at six, puts Mahomes at two, but... I mean, that'd be two before 24, but, I mean, I totally understand. I don't think I could either. And I've got one I don't, more. I don't um, know if Mahomes can stay healthy long enough to do that. I know. Um, so, I think we would all three agree that baseball is kind of on a down, down slope. I mean, they just are. The viewers, you know, entertainment, whatever you want to look at it. Um, will it ever bounce back into being looked at as not a boring and, I don't know, Downtrending uh, sport, and what what could they do to make it better? 
I'm gonna say no to this one too. Um, I know I know this is something y'all care nothing about, but I've watched NASCAR my whole life, and NASCAR is kind of in the same predicament where they're they're losing viewers. They're trying anything and everything they can. They've changed the way you win a championship. They've changed everything, and baseball's kind of stuck in the same scenario now, where they're changing the playoffs, let more teams in. They're trying to get a, a DH for both leagues, and it just to me it feels like a cluster where. They they don't even know how to fix what they're doing. So, Brett. Yeah, I think it's going to be hard for them to bounce back. Um, it it like you said, it is on a downslope. It they're trying to think of things to kind of speed the game up, make it a little bit more exciting. But um, I mean, it's a hard sell to to try to get somebody to sit there and watch a three or four hour game on your television if if you didn't grow up doing that and if you don't love baseball. Yeah, and that is all for all right. Plainsman Pole. All right, well let's move into the last segment. We gotta make this pretty quick here. Uh, tweet of the week, guys. Uh, Marcus, we'll start with you. What was your tweet of the week this week? Uh, my tweet of the week is uh, sponsored by Bro Tips at Bro Tips. Um, it's actually Bro Code at Bro Tips. Um, it says my friend gave birth in her car on the way to the hospital, and her husband named the kid Carson. If you don't think that's the best dad joke ever, get out. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Brett, what's yours? Uh, mine is from Riggs Barstool. Um, talking about Patrick Reed. Said, Reed already hated and considered a cheater by most, so now he's just out there seeing how far he can take it. Excited for when he rolls one out of his pocket and yells, Found it, boys. <laughs> And, and based off of yesterday, I don't think it's going to be too long before that happens. God, I hope so. All right. Man, I've played with somebody <laughs> before that does that. Oh, man. It is the worst. It is the worst. All right. So my tweet is uh, from at Dylan X Short on Twitter. Uh, it says, Chipper Jones naming his son Shay is the greatest troll move in the history of mankind because of how how much Chipper owned the Mets at uh their their stadium being called Shea Stadium. Marks has given me a look like he doesn't get that, <laughs> but but Chipper absolutely dominated the Mets and then named his son Shea after their stadium, and I, I thought that, that was pretty funny. So all right, well that's <laughs> that's gonna do it for I'm this sure episode. <laughs> Chipper did it. It actually was. Yeah, he okay. said that. Okay. <laughs> But, all right, well, that's going to do it for episode three of the Plainsman Podcast. Thank you guys for tuning in. Uh, don't forget to head over and subscribe to our page. Give us a five-star rating. Leave us a review. You can follow us on Twitter at Plainsman Pod, and we are also now on Facebook under the Plainsman Podcast. So until next time, War Eagle. War Eagle. War Eagle.